So one of the favorite stories, both book and movie, in the Cloud household is Anne of Green Gables. How many of you are Anne of Green Gables fans? Uh, We love Anne of Green Gables. Uh, In fact, I've nicknamed my daughter Chloe here, our Anne of Green Gables daughter. Um, They share very many similar personality traits. But if you're not aware of Anne of Green Gables, uh, first of all, you have to read it or at least watch the movie. Uh, But the story, Anne of Green Gables, is about an orphan girl named Anne who mistakenly gets adopted by two middle-aged siblings, Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert. And I say she is mistakenly adopted because at first, Matthew and Marilla want to adopt a boy who will be able to help them on the farm. But the orphanage sends by mistake to them and a girl... And I want to take just a moment to share with you one of my favorite lines from the book. This is in chapter 3, when Anne learns of Matthew and Marilla's intentions at first to send her back to the orphanage in exchange for a boy. So after hearing this devastating news, they sit down for a meal together, and it says, Anne took off her hat meekly. Matthew came back presently, and they sat down to supper, but Anne could not eat. In vain, she nibbled at the bread and butter and pecked at the crab apple preserve out of the little scalloped glass dish by her plate. She did not really make any headway at all. You're not eating anything, said Marilla sharply, eyeing it, eyeing her as if it were a serious shortcoming. Anne sighed. I can't. I'm in the depths of despair. Can you eat when you are in the depths of despair? I've never been in the depths of despair, so I can't say, responded Marilla. Weren't you? Well, did you ever try to imagine you were in the depths of despair? (laughs) And upon hearing this devastating news is in the depths of despair. And as we conclude this series in the book of Lamentations, the question I have for you this morning is, have you ever been in the depths of despair? Have you ever imagined that you were in the depths of despair? The original audience here in the book of Lamentations, they are in the depths of despair. And like Anne of Green Gables, the original audience of the book of Lamentations, they are in desperate need for just a little bit of hope. As we've been seeing now for four chapters, God has judged them because of their sin, a judgment they clearly deserve, but they're in the depths of despair. As either they or their loved ones are either killed or carted off into exile. As they have seen Jerusalem, God's holy city, utterly destroyed. As they have seen the temple, the dwelling place of God, demolished by the Babylonians. The depths of despair is the only way to describe what has happened. 
And so with that reminder in mind, I want to invite you to open up to Lamentations chapter 5 as we conclude our series here in Lamentations. And as you're turning there, let me remind you that thus far in Lamentations, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 have been written in a very poetic style called an acrostic poem or an alphabet poem where every verse of each of those letters begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Written very poetically, written very beautifully. But now, as we come to chapter 5, everything changes. If you were one of the original readers of the book of Lamentations, the thing you would immediately notice when we come to chapter 5 is all of that beautiful poetic structure is thrown out of the window. Here in Lamentations chapter 5, there is no beauty, it's just chaos. The depths of despair. And this is very intentional by Jeremiah the author because chapter 5's disorderly structure mirrors the chaos of their reality. No beauty, just chaos, the depths of despair. Here as we see Lamentations chapter 5, you can follow along on your outline the three major ideas we're going to see. First of all, number one on your outline, we're going to see the plea. This begging of the people of God in Judah, the Jerusalemites, beg God to do something about the depths of their despair. Then number two on your outline, verses two through 18, we're going to be reminded of the problems, the conditions that led to the depths of their despair. And then as we wrap up this entire series in Lamentations, we come to point three on your outline, the paradox. An awkward ending to the book of Lamentations. But let's look first at number one on your outline, just chapter five, verse one, as we see the plea. Throwing out the poetic structure, verse 1, we come to the plea here in Lamentations 5, verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our reproach. This is the plea, the begging of the people of Judah to God to do something about the depths of their despair. Here in verse one, we see three main verbs, three imperatives that are used as a way of pleading with the Lord. The three big words I want you to see here are remember, look, and see. The cry of the heart of the people of Judah, of the people of Jerusalem, as they've they've gone through everything they've gone through, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, their plea of God is to remember, to look, and to see. In other words, God, do you see what has happened? God, do you see the depths of our despair? And implied in that is the question, God, are you going to do something about it? 
God, are you going to intervene on our behalf? God, are you going to reverse what has happened to your people, your chosen people? The idea here is, God, I want you to see what has happened and to do something about it, to take action, to show your favor to your, to your people once again. This is the plea of verse 1. And I want to pause here and ask you once again, have you ever asked a question like this? Have you ever been in the depths of despair? Have you ever asked God these questions? God, do you see what's happening to me? God, do you see the depths of my despair? And God, are you planning to do anything about it? Remember, O Lord, look and see. But before we come to the answers of that question, let's first take a look at number two on your outline and remind ourselves of the problems that led to the depths of their despair. Here we're going to take a look at Lamentations chapter 5, verses 2 through 18. And as we go through these verses, I want you to take note of the repetition of the words, we, us, and our. We, us, and our. Implying this is a national focus. A national, collective experience of those who have witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem. Notice, for example, Lamentations 5, verse 2. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our houses to aliens. When Babylon came in and destroyed the people of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, we see here that the inheritance of the people of Judah, their land, their inheritance was given over to Babylon. The houses that they built are now being occupied by foreigners. This is the depths of despair for the Hebrew people. Chapter three, or verse three, it continues, we have become orphans without a father. Our mothers are like widows. And in this world and in ours as well, orphans and widows are some of the most vulnerable people in a society. Having no one to stand up for their rights and to ensure that justice is done on their behalf. And likewise, the people of Judah, under Babylon's rule, Judah has no rights, no means of protection. This is the depths of despair. Verse 4 says, we have to pay for our drinking water. Our wood comes to us at a price. In a culture in which water and food, these were natural resources, they now have to pay for the water they drink, for the wood they used for cooking. This is the depths of despair. Verse 5 says, our pursuers are at our necks. We are worn out. There is no rest for us. And all around the people of Judah, all around the city of Jerusalem, the Babylonians are dominating them. And there's no rest for the people of Judah from their enemies. The depths of despair. Verse 6, we have submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. 
Now, the Egyptians and the Assyrians were historically the enemies of the people of God, but here we've seen that they've had to submit to them a a phrase that implies entering into a treaty and an agreement and alliance with their sworn enemies just to have enough bread to eat. The depths of despair. Verse 7, our fathers sinned and are no more. They're dead. It is we who have borne their iniquities. Here we see the painful fulfillment of what God says over and over in the Old Testament that the sins of fathers are passed down to the third and fourth generation. We see that this current generation is feeling the consequences that their forefathers were guilty of. The depths of despair. Verse 8 Slaves rule over us. There is no one to deliver us from their hand. See, when Babylon would come in into a region and conquer that region, one of the things that they would often do is they would bring in people they had conquered and establish them as cruel taskmasters over their newly conquered land. And so here Jeremiah says slaves, these other conquered peoples have come in and they now rule over us and there's no one sadly to deliver us from their hand, the depths of despair. Verses nine and 10, we get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin has become as hot as an oven because of the burning heat of famine. If you've been with us in previous weeks, as we've gone through the book of Lamentations, we have seen painful uh, reminders of just how desperate their situation was and just uh, how low they went to survive and to find food to eat. Here we see that the people there within the walled cities of Jerusalem had to go out into the wilderness at the risk of their lives to try to find something to eat. Their skin, it says, because of the heat of the desert has become as hot as an oven. The depths of despair. Painfully, we see verses 11 through 14. They ravished the women in Zion, the virgins in the cities of Judah. Princes were hung by their hands. Elders were not respected. Young men worked at the grinding mill and youths stumbled under loads of wood. Elders are gone from the gate. Young men from their music. Again, very vividly describing the conditions that took place when Babylon came in and conquered a city. Women were raped, men were murdered. The strong, younger men were forced into slavery. The elders were not respected. They were kicked out of the gate, which is where they typically would rule. Notice verse 14, joyful music is deafened by the sounds of exile. Music is no more, only the sound of screaming. The depths of despair. Finally, notice verses 15 through 18. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Notice, woe to us, for we have sinned 
Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes are dim. Because of, the Mount, because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, foxes prowl in it. A couple things I want you to see here. First of all, joy has turned into mourning. The temple, Jerusalem's crown of glory, is gone. People are fainting from hunger. Eyes are dim. Jerusalem is desolate. Foxes are enemies. The Babylonians are prowling within the city gates. Why? Because we have sinned. Woe to us, verse 16, for we have sinned. The depths of despair. Again, I want you to keep in mind why all of this is taking place. This is depressing stuff. But all of this is taking place because of the sins of the people of Judah. It's really a fulfillment of that covenant I've mentioned every single week, Deuteronomy 28 through 30, where God says, listen, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, I will discipline you. And here we see the fulfillment of that covenant. Sin has consequences. But what I also want you to see here is that although this discipline is deserved, it doesn't minimize the pain. It doesn't minimize the pain. Can you imagine the depths of despair for the people of Judah who underwent this type of suffering? Perhaps you can. But you know what's interesting is that throughout Scripture, when we see this type of suffering, when we see this kind of hardship, when people are brought to the lowest of lows, to the depths of despair, it's there in the depths of despair that God brings hope, that God brings resolution. It's from the depths of despair when all we have left is hope. And that then brings us to number three on your outline, the paradox, the awkward ending to the book of Lamentations. Let's take a look at Lamentations 5, verses 19 through 22, and we're going to see that this prayer of the people of Judah ends rather awkwardly. There's a paradox, a tension here at the end of the book, a, a tension between the sovereign hand of God on the one hand and the painful, devastating emotion of the consequences of the people's sin on the other hand. Let's take a look first at the first part of that tension, the sovereign hand of God in verse 19. Lamentations 5, verse 19. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Here in verse 19, we see the first side of this paradox, of this tension, a reminder of the Lord's sovereign hand in this entire story. I want you to keep in mind that all of this is happening, the Babylonian conquest and destruction of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, all of this is happening not because Babylon is so great, but because God is sovereign. You, O Lord, rule forever. All of this is happening because the sovereign God of the universe 
is bringing about the discipline over disobedient Judah. You, O Lord, rule forever and ever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Generations come and go, empires rise and fall, but God still sits on his throne through it all. That's the first side of this paradox, this tension. The second side of this tension, this paradox, we see in verse 20. Here we see the emotion of it all. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so long? Yes, there in verse 19, the people are reminded of God's sovereign hand over all things, but here in verse 20, we see the painful emotion of it all. It seems to them as though God has forgotten them. It seems as though God has forsaken them. By the way, take note of that word forget there. The word forget is the exact opposite of the word remember that we saw in verse one. Remember, O Lord, because it sure seems like you have forgotten us here. Remember, O Lord, because it feels like you have forgotten us and even worse, it feels like you have forsaken us. And this is the paradox we see here at the end of Lamentations, what we know to be true about about God intellectually often doesn't line up with how we feel emotionally. Lamentations is an invitation for us to enter into that painful reality of life when we struggle to connect the theology we know to the emotion we feel. And so in this tension, in this paradox, what does Judah, the people of Jerusalem, what do they ask God to do to resolve this tension? Well, notice verse 21. Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. So here in this tension, in this paradox, in this awkwardness, the cry of the people of Judah, their ask of God is that he would restore them so that they could be restored. Literally, it says, return us to you, O Lord, that we may be returned. The Hebrew word here is shuv. It's uh, a word, uh, a favorite word of Jeremiah, the author of the book. He uses it 115 times in Lamentations and the book of Jeremiah. It's translated here as restore. It's translated also as return, also as repent. And if you've been with us through this series, you know that repentance is really the main theme that I've been drawing out of the book of Lamentations. We've seen this theme of repentance from start to finish. And here the the ask, the request of the people of Judah to God is God, uh, change our thinking, change our behavior, change our desires to align with your desires. God, help us to repent, return us to you so that we may be restored. That's repentance. This is the ask of verse 21. But now we come to verse 22. The awkward ending. 
to the book of Lamentations. Again, verse 21 says, Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. This is a horrible ending to the book. It's a little awkward. It's maybe as awkward as that silence in the room is for a minute. Restore us, O Lord, unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. The depths of despair. Why does Jeremiah end his book this way? Hasn't Jeremiah read the book of Jeremiah? Like, there's hope in the book of Jeremiah. Why would he end this book this way? This is the depths of despair. It doesn't get more awkward than this. Why would Jeremiah choose to end his book this way? Because life isn't always cupcakes and rainbows. Life doesn't always end on a happy note. I like what one commentator says. For God to speak in this book, a happy ending of comfort or promise, would cheapen the suffering, foreshorten exploration of tragedy, and deny the depth of human experience of pain. This book plunges into pain beyond words and finds words to explore realities humans prefer to deny. But in the midst of pain, anger, and weeping, Lamentations forms a shelter. Its poems build a sacred space where suffering is seen, acknowledged, and borne witness to. And that may be comfort enough. See, Lamentations ends in this incredibly awkward way as a reminder that our life is not a Hallmark movie. It doesn't always have a happy ending. The ending of Lamentations is awkward and painful. And we have to resist the urge to read verse 22 and then immediately jump to the resolution because that's not how the book ends. The book ends painfully. You know what's amazing is, is actually every year uh, the Jewish people and Jewish culture, they read the book of Lamentations on the day when they remember the destruction of the temple by both Babylon and by the Romans. But what's fascinating is they don't stop in verse 22. They reread verse 21 and make that the ending. (laughs) 
And I understand that temptation because we want it to end on a happy note, but it doesn't. The book of Lamentations ends with this awkwardness and it's left to just linger out there unresolved. And that's the end of the book. That's the end of the book, but it's not the end of the ultimate story. Lamentations leaves us with this awkward tension that's ultimately only resolved at the cross of Jesus. When we come to understand the magnitude of the redemption that he has given to us freely by his grace. When we come to understand that this tension of lamentations is only resolved in Jesus' promise to one day come and make all things new, to come and to wipe every tear from our eye. But until that day comes, we have this awkward, unresolved anguish. For us, on this side of Jesus' cross, the beauty of the gospel is the only thing that resolves this paradox, this tension between God's love on the one hand and his wrath on the other hand. And that then brings me to the question of why in the world would we take five weeks to move through such a depressing book? Because this depressing book leads us ultimately to Holy Week, which we'll be celebrating soon. This book forces us to see the ugly reality of our sin and its consequences that's ultimately only resolved by Jesus laying down his life for us. And I want to ask you this morning, both here and those of you online, if you've never considered this resolution to our problem of sin, God's only solution to our problem of sin, if you've never put your trust, your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, for your redemption, I'd invite you right where you are, right where you're watching, to put your faith, your trust, your hope in him and in him alone. So as we conclude this series in the book of Lamentations, I do have a final application thought for you as we leave behind this book. But as we are reminded of this painful ending, these last two verses of Lamentations leave things somewhat unknown. How is this story, this book, going to end? Will the people of Jerusalem return to the Lord or won't they? I have a similar question for you and for me. And that is, as we've been going through this series of lamentations focusing in on repentance, are you going to leave behind this idea of repentance once we close the pages of this book? Or will you live a lifestyle of repentance? Repentance is meant to be a regular part of our walk as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. When we acknowledge our sins, we confess our sin, we turn to him over and over, day by day by day. I like the words of Tertullian who said, I was born for nothing except repentance. And Martin Luther who said, when our Lord and Master Jesus said repent, 
He willed that the entire life of believers would be one of repentance. And that's my question for you and and for myself as well. Will we leave this idea of repentance behind or will we embrace the beauty of freely confessing our sin, knowing that he's forgiven us, knowing that he longs to have a relationship with us through his son? Will you live a lifestyle of repentance? And so with that in mind, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me once again as we pray through our prayer of repentance from the Book of Common Prayer. And I'll pause along the way so you can confess your sin to the Lord. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker and judge of us all, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and offenses which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your righteous anger against us. We are deeply sorry for these our transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may evermore serve and please you in newness of life to the honor and glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you would please take a moment to silently confess your sin to the Lord. And Father, as we are confronted with the reality of our sin, we acknowledge, as your scripture says, that all of us like sheep have gone astray. There's not a single righteous person in this room. We are all deserving of your wrath. God, when we come to that realization, we then come to the beauty of the gospel. That in your grace and mercy, you sent your son who laid down his life so that we might live forever with you, forgiven and redeemed, chosen and loved. Father, we're grateful that you make the promise when we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, help us as we live a life of repentance, to live a life of holiness, of being set apart unto you. Father, I pray for myself, I pray for each one here, for those watching online, that we would be holy as you are holy, that you would continue to bring to our minds and to our hearts these areas of our life that the sin that so easily entangles us, that we would set it aside and pursue you wholeheartedly, that we would freely run into the loving arms of our Savior, that we would live a life that pleases you, that we would live a life that when we stand before you, we might hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. God, I ask this for myself and for each one here, for those watching online, and we ask and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.